As Jose said, my name is Kenny Stone, and I uh, grew up in a small village in uh, Washington State, just north of Spokane, called Chowila, Washington. And I grew up there. Uh, my dad was a pastor, so I grew up a PK. Woo-woo, yeah. Um, and uh, us PKers, we try to stick together, you know. But anyways, uh, I, I grew up there. I went to college, though, at Corbin University in Salem, Oregon. I met my wife there. Actually, the first day of school, I met Kimberly. Uh, for some reason, was able to trigger into dating me halfway through my sophomore year of college. And then September, my senior year, I asked her to marry me. She said, yes. She said, uh, I do, uh, which is awesome. And uh, I got married to her two weeks after that. Uh, Kimberly and I have been married for nine years. Uh, excuse me, I said two weeks after that. I meant two weeks after we graduated. Uh, yes, <laughs> someone in the crowd, someone in the crowd went, What? Are you serious? Yeah, I saw your face. Yeah. So two weeks after we graduated, we got married, and we've been married for nine years. And uh, again, I'm like many of you fellas out there. I married up, and I might be the president of the club. So um, it has been a a great journey with my wife. Again, it's been nine years. Uh, In 2013, we adopted our son Parker, um, actually from Oregon, and uh, actually this evening, I want to share that story with you uh, just, just a little bit. And I, I've been trying to figure out how to best do that. Uh, I didn't know if I should sling it from the hip tonight or actually read something. And so, you know, I, my wife, uh, she's a photographer and she has a photography blog and she wrote about the story. And I thought, man, she did an amazing job. So I just want to read it for you tonight. And I was really cautious about doing that because I don't want to just stand up here looking at this thing the entire time, but I think it's a, it's a good way to tell you the story because she killed it when she wrote it. So here we go. Bear with me. Here we go. Three weeks ago, uh, she wrote this on April 30th of 2013, three weeks after we adopted our son Parker. Three weeks ago, our life changed forever. Three weeks ago, we met Parker's birth parents. And three weeks ago, we sat across a picnic table from two people who would ultimately make the most courageous and selfless decision of their lives, entrusting us to raise their beautiful son. Our lives collided with two people who we will call Joe and Krista. In a story that became the last chapter of this adoption journey, we first heard from Joe and Parker, Joe on Parker's due date. It was an email through our blog. He shared a small bit of their story with no promises of adoption However, as we exchanged emails, we all felt compelled to meet. You should also know that we were in Oregon when he emailed us. Joe and Krista live in Oregon, so our first meeting was a miracle in itself. Our meeting was brief, but overwhelming. Joe and Krista had been through so much, and sadly, Oregon DHS was involved in their lives, planning to take their son into custody the minute he was born. And so they were desperate for a better answer, desperate to give their child a more certain future, yet completely torn over the thought of not raising their son. Adoption was not their first choice. Their story left us heartbroken, heartbroken for them, for all their pain, heartbroken for their choices they would have to make. We returned to Chico not knowing what Joe and Krista would choose. There had been no commitment to an adoption plan, only a commitment to choose us if they were to make a plan. It left us confused, 
not knowing what our role would be, but sensing that God had brought us all together. With Chris's due date passed, we knew that every day mattered. So we prayed with more intensity than I've ever known. We prayed for clarity. As we sorted through our thoughts, we decided that we would definitely support Joe and Krista no matter what. We felt called to do that. We also realized that this would mean driving back to Oregon with a lot of unknowns. So on Monday, April 8th, when we received the call that Krista had gone into labor, we drove north. We had no idea what we would face. They had asked us to come, but not to the hospital. And then, late that evening, we received a text. They wanted us to visit them. This invitation led to the next 18 hours at the hospital. Kenny and Joe would go for walks while I sat with Krista in the early hours of her labor. We paced the halls, we prayed, and we all stayed by each other's side as if we were friends for years. As Krista progressed into harder labor and throughout her three and a half hours of pushing, I remained next to her. At this point, we still had no idea what would happen with Parker. They had dreams of parenting, and we just hung onto God, knowing he had called us here. Parker was born via C-section at 2.15 p.m., on April 8th, or excuse me, April 9th. The Oregon DHS arrived at the hospital at 4 p.m. on that day. The news wasn't good for Joe and Krista. I want it should have been one of the happiest days of their life. There was great sadness. Grief over the reality that they would not walk out of the hospital as a family. Grief over the fact that they would have to make the hardest decision of their life in the next two and a half days. Parker would either go into foster care for many months while Joe and Krista walked through a grueling process to fight for their parenting rights, or Parker would be adopted by us. And so our prayers became prayers of peace. That whatever Joe and Krista decided, they would have peace to move through all of this. We knew either choice was going to be hard. For the next three days, we stayed at or near the hospital. We'd spend time with Joe and Krista. We would spend time with Parker, seeing him as their son. And some of our family members came down to support us, which helped more than we could have imagined. There were times of great peace and strength for us, and there were times of exhaustion and sadness. It was very hard. It was hard to see the overwhelming grief of Joe and Krista. It was hard to imagine Parker going home with a stranger. It was hard to trust God, no matter what. On Friday afternoon, Krista asked me to come to her room. She was in her clothes, standing near the bed. And all I remember is hugging one another right away. We held onto each other and cried long, hard tears. Nurses came in and out, and I will never forget that moment with Krista. When she told me to love Parker, take care of him for the rest of my life, she asked me to be his mom. The following hours were filled with great joy and sadness all at the same time. But the one thing we all had, we all had peace, deep, unchanging peace. Looking back at this story, the beginning of it, the middle of it, the end of it, 
there's one thing that constantly God was asking me, Kenny, where are you leaning? Proverbs 3, verses 5 through 6 says, Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge me and I will make your path straight. Constantly God was asking me that question, Kenny, where do you put your hope? Kenny, where do you, where do you put your trust? Kenny, where are you leaning? This morning, I want us to take a look at Luke 10. If you turn there with me, that would be awesome. We're going to be hanging out in verse 38. Verse 38 says this. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary. Let's pause for just a moment. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem for the last time. In real time, this is about a week before his crucifixion. But to help us get a little deeper into what's happening right here in Luke 10, if you would just hold your spot there and move your scriptures to John 11, starting in verse 1, I want to read a few things to help us understand what's going on in Luke 10 a little bit better. So John 11, starting in verse 1. Now a man named Lazarus was sick, and he was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. Verse 3. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Skip down to verse 5 with me. It says this. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. See, based on John 11, we can understand that in Luke 10, Jesus is passing through the village of Bethany. On his way through, he shows up at Martha's house. Now, at this time, you, you, gotta, you, gotta, you gotta see this. Like, Jesus shows up, and he's not showing up to strangers. He's showing up to people he loves. These are his friends. Martha and Mary and Lazarus, the ones that Jesus loved. And we've gotta get that this morning. We gotta get that. These, there's some friendships, some deep ties that are going on here. It's not just... Jesus was knocking on random doors saying, hey, you got a place for us to stay. Okay, these were people that knew Jesus. Let's keep reading in Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 39 again. Martha had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. 
Now, although there's great relationship between Martha, Mary, and Jesus, upon Jesus' arrival, we see that there are really two different reactions to Jesus' arrival. Mary, okay, at first she was helping prepare. I mean, let's be honest. This is a small baseball team that shows up to their house, right? I mean, these are men who like, I mean, I love to eat, right? And especially when I was a teenager, I could throw it down with the best of you, right? Now it just goes straight to my hips and we're in trouble, right? You know? So in all seriousness, though, like this is a huge task of being hospitable. And so at the beginning, Mary and Martha are getting the place ready for these guys. But as Jesus arrives, we see that Mary goes to Jesus' feet. She's soaking up time with him. She's learning from him. She is enjoying Jesus. Whereas Martha, Martha's still working. There's a ton to be done. She's got to get after it. And so we see these two different reactions. So much that actually she's, she's involved in her work so much that she actually starts bossing Jesus around. Did you see that? She says, hey, Jesus, don't you see all this work we have to do? And my sister, she's just sitting there. Can you tell her to help me? Tell her to get up and help me. This right here, in great fashion, gives Jesus a teaching opportunity. And so let's look at what Jesus has for us this evening. Verse 41 says this, Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed. Or indeed, only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. I think it's important to first start off with this idea that Jesus says, Martha, Martha. Okay, this is not a heavy rebuke, but rather a gentle rebuke. I think we could just pass right over this very easily, but I think we need to stay here for just a moment because I think this reveals something about Jesus that we know. Or maybe we don't know. I think this reveals that Jesus is good. I think subconsciously we're all like, yeah, totally, Kenny, I get that. Jesus is good. No, really. Do you believe that Jesus is good? Like, I don't know where you're all at tonight. I don't know what's going on in your lives. I don't know what your families are doing. I don't know the scenarios at work. I don't know all these things. But my question for you tonight is this. Do you know that Jesus is good? And it's, it's easy for us to just pass over. Yeah. No, do we really know that? Do we really believe that? No matter the struggles in life, no matter the hardships, do you really believe that Jesus is good? For the last 52 weeks, we've been walking through, I think it was 52 weeks or something like that, we've been walking through the book of Mark. And in Mark, there's a lot of scenarios where we find that Jesus is good. Number one, in Mark 2, we see that Jesus starts talking about the Sabbath. He says that the Sabbath is made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Jesus creates the Sabbath because you and I need to rest. 
He knows that it's good for our health. Jesus is good. We also see in Mark 3 that Jesus is with a bunch of Pharisees who are trying to accuse him, kill him. They want him dead. And Jesus, in that moment, it says, in Mark 3, it says that Jesus is grieved at their hardness of heart. These people are considered Jesus' enemies, and Jesus is grieved. You guys, you guys got any enemies? When's the last time you're like, man, I just, I'm, I'm hurting for them. Are you kidding me? Jesus is grieved. And so I really have to ask you that question again. Do you know that Jesus is good? Lastly, I, I think Mark 15, the crucifixion. Jesus is good. You and I don't deserve what Jesus gave. I mean, you might be sitting there tonight like, I don't think you know me, Kenny. I'm pretty awesome. No. Like, you don't deserve what Jesus gave. Looking at Jesus' perfection and his righteousness, you and I fall so, so short of God's requirement. But man, on God's behalf, though, he said, I love you. I want you to be part of my family. And I made a way through my son Jesus. Jesus paid the penalty that you and I deserved. You and I escaped wrath and got to join a family. Jesus is good. In this story of dinner with Jesus, we see again that Jesus is good. Martha isn't after what is best. And he wants to point her to something better. See, Jesus saves. He is saving us. And one day we will be saved. What we see here is a saving moment for Martha. Martha has great intentions. I mean, honestly, none of us would say, you know, that Martha, want to be hospitable. Right? No, she has great intentions. She wants to prepare a great meal. She wants to prepare uh, a place that's comfortable. None of us would be like, that's ridiculous. No, Martha has great intentions. See, I think what Jesus is really questioning here with Martha is, is her priorities. A good meal, hospi hospitality, that's, that's all good stuff, but not necessary. Martha's priorities are out of line, which results in unnecessary anxiety, worry. She's borderline angry with her sister so much, again, that she bosses Jesus around. Jesus is wanting to save her from these. I love the quote that Tim Keller says, God sees us as we are, loves us as we are, and accepts us as we are. But by his grace, he does not leave us where we are. Jesus doesn't want Martha to stay here. 
stressed, borderline angry, experiencing anxiety, but instead move her, grow her, point her to something better. He points to what is better by commending Mary. Again, he's not so much condemning Martha, but he's commending Mary. Mary is looking at what is best. Mary is experiencing what is best. Mary is leaning into Jesus. She's leaning into what's important, what fulfills her priority is Jesus. Disciples lean into Jesus. Jesus followers lean into Jesus. Maybe I'm the only one here tonight that struggles here with this idea of leaning. Man, one way I struggle is I have this false confidence about myself, that my abilities can take care of it, that, ah, God, I got this one. Like, yeah, I know you had to cover some of the other stuff, but Jesus, I got this one. You give me enough gifts, you give me enough talents, I've got this one. And so I stop leaning. Okay, if we're honest, that lack of leaning really is pride. And that's a sin. And I need Jesus to change that in me. I need Jesus to to rip that out of me. I struggle. I struggle when it comes to leaning. But see, I need to press into Jesus. I need to look at him for my source of life. I need to pursue him. Why? Because he is good. We lean when Jesus is at the forefront of our lives. During the struggles and the celebrations of life, we are to be in tune with who Jesus is, what he has done, and who we are because of all that. We need to lean into Jesus. Tonight, I really did not want to give you a to-do list. That is not what I'm trying to accomplish here. I have a couple suggestions on how we can lean. I don't want you to walk out of here going, oh, Kenny gave me some great ideas. I'm going to check those off my list. No, I want you to lean. Not lean into tasks. I want you to lean into Jesus. Here's some suggestions, though, on how we could lean. Be in the scriptures. The scriptures point to Jesus. Learn them, study them, because they point to the source of life, who is Jesus. Pray and listen. Praying shows a sense of submission to God. When you come before God and you go, God, what do you want? What you're really saying is, I don't know. You know better, God. You're smarter. You're the best. When you come before God and you say, God, help me. And that's a form of submission. That's a a form of leaning into God. Secondly, I think we need to listen. So many times we pray and we hear God and then we're like, are you sure that's what you said? 
and we question that rather than lean into that again. So many times I think we, we actually hear God and then we get scared, we get spooked when we really need to lean again and go, God, whatever you want, here we go. I want to end with just one question. I think it's a simple question for us tonight. It's this. Where are you leaning today? Where do you put your hope today? Where do you put your trust? Where do you look for joy? Where do you look for fulfillment? Thinking about our story of adoption, there's so many times when I had no idea what was happening. In Oregon, they have this rule that only four people can get bands to go up into the hospital area. I never got a band. My wife did, but I never got a band. So I, I was just in the parking lot, in some room, like, where's my baby girl? I have no idea where she's at. Like, it was stressful for me. I didn't know where my wife was. And in that moment, Jesus is saying, lean, Kenny. Where are you leaning? When Joe would say, man, Kenny, I don't know what's going on here. I don't know what is happening. This is so hard. And he'd tell me all this stuff. I'm like, God, I don't, know how, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. I would say, lean. Like, I can't, God, I don't even, I can't even put myself in this guy's position. It's too hard. He said, lean. And so again, tonight, where are you leaning? My prayer for this church, my prayer for this city, my prayer for the sunset corridor is that this place would lean into Jesus. But man, it's got to start right here. In all of us.